This is Housing Explained Hong Kong, a series that will delve into some of the issues surrounding Hong Kong's housing crisis. Our music is from Incompetech by Kevin McLeod. I'm your host, Amy Sood. I'm new to Hong Kong, and I've been trying to understand all the challenges and issues surrounding housing in the city. And I'll be your local guide and co-host, Jeff Chung. I was born and raised in Hong Kong, spending just three years abroad for university. It's not there's no land in Hong Kong. There's no plan to get land in Hong Kong. Right? That was the voice of Tom Yan, a member of the Citizens Task Force on Land Resources. They are a group of professionals dedicated to facilitating the debate on critical issues, including sustainable development, the optimal uses of land, and the conservation of resources. My uh, okay, I my my background actually in engineering and management consulting. I mean, uh, I left Hong Kong uh, very young, 18 years old. And I spent the next 40 years in America, uh, work studying, raising a family, and whatnot. And came back to Hong Kong about 17 years ago. And um, uh, and then I first, uh, and then I lived in this, this Lantau, Discovery Bay, uh, for a few years. And I moved to Mui Wall. And as I lived there and discovered you know, the beauty of Lantau, I began to pay attention to uh, issues uh, in Lantau. Uh, housing, and that led me into uh, this project. So when C.Y. Leung announced this project in his project address, uh, actually in 2014, I mean, I just right away, I mean, I, it raised to me a red flag. I mean, that idea would po- totally uh, destroy Southern Tao, uh, who is supposed to be for conservation. So from 2014 on, I pretty much followed the project quite closely. Uh, the, the concept itself, uh, how it came about, how the government makes its case, uh, and the more I look at it, look at it, the more it just does not make sense uh, from many many points of view. That's how I. Uh, so actually, start from well, my local concern, but actually affect enti- entire Hong Kong. Uh, some may argue, well, I'm just being a NIMBY. I, I live there, and therefore, but uh, it's beyond that. It's really affect ever in Hong Kong. So that's why I've been quite active, uh, publishing a lot in the media and appearing uh, in the media a lot, debating uh, government officials and those who support the project. The Lantau Tomorrow Vision is a controversial land reclamation and development project launched by the government. It proposes the construction of artificial land east of Lantau Island. Tom is a staunch opponent of this proposal. First announced by Chief Executive Carrie Lam in a 2018 policy address, the project was originally envisioned to address a perceived land shortage issue. The government hopes that the creation of land will help meet the housing and economic needs of the city and, quote, build a solid foundation for a sustainable future for Hong Kong. Now, on the uh, point about the uh, government's uh, of the uh, about 1,200 square kilometers of land in Hong Kong, uh, only about 25% is developed. We're, li- we're living only on 25% of land, and about 46% or so is country park. There still remain a large swath of land. New territory alone, about 900 square kilometers, is bigger than Singapore. Singapore is around 720. So there are land there. It just the government doesn't want to exercise uh, the authority to get land like as Singapore does. Hong Kong so, has one of the most expensive housing markets in the world. 
CBRE's fifth annual global living report, published in 2019, saw Hong Kong holding its position as the most expensive city for the fifth consecutive year, averaging 1.2 million US dollars per apartment. The issue itself does not come from the high property prices, but rather from being able to afford the 40% down payment people have to make when they first buy a new home. That's not even accounting for the decades it takes for most to pay off the remaining 60% in mortgage loans. But housing wasn't always this expensive in Hong Kong. I look at my parents' model. In the 60s, 70s, 80s, my, my father was kind of middle class, working as a manager in a, in a multinational company. So he can finance buy his own land. In fact, he can buy, he can trade up uh, along the way and own a couple of flats. Even though he was just, you know, a middle manager. So, and then in fact, he reti- when he retired, the reason why they can re- he can retire is that because he has so few flat that he bought in the 80s that allow him to retire. So, my think, my, my conclusion is in those days, like your parents, they, they're not, they're not, my parents not millionaire, but they said just, just a bit, just draw a salary. But he was able to do that, which today is just out of the question. A lot of how we got to this point has to do with the rapid increase of Hong Kong's population in the 1960s. In a document that Tom produced, he concedes that the land reclamation that was done in the past was necessary during a period of rapid population growth. The population of Hong Kong grew from 3.1 million in 1961 to 7.5 million in 2021. That's a 145% growth over just 60 years. Estimates indicate that the population will peak at 8.1 million in 2041, but will later decline back to 7.3 million by 2069. Tom claims that with the declining population growth in the next 40 years, land reclamation will no longer be necessary, as land in the new territories becomes available for development. Speaking of, land supply in Hong Kong is a highly debated subject, both amongst academics and ordinary citizens alike. Some academics and other experts would argue that there isn't any land shortage in Hong Kong. In fact, it's a complete opposite. Out of the 111,100 hectares of land available in Hong Kong, only 24.3% has been built up. And in that area, uh, it's easily pointed out what's available. There are about three, about 1,000 hectares of land, the uh, developer sitting there doing nothing, you know, waiting for the market uh, to look good, 1,000. Uh, there are about Almost 3,000 of farmland, they're not being used, not being zoned, owned by the uh, villagers. Uh, there are uh, 1,500 hectares of brownfield, the government owned. Brownfield are former farmland that have been converted into commercial use. So, so the, the brownfield. Um, there are 2,700 hectares of land owned by the PLA. Right, uh, so <laughs> uh, then, then there are the Disneyland extension, sixty hectare. So <laughs> there are plenty of land. So it's not like we don't have land available in Hong Kong to build more housing. Most critics of the Lantau project make the same argument Tom does. The government, however, thinks otherwise. According to a research report published by the Task Force on Land Supply, led by former Chief Executive Tung Chi Wa. Reclaiming 2,200 hectares in the eastern waters of Lantau in 14 years would house 1.1 million people. This would, by extension, solve Hong Kong's land shortage problems. Soon after Leung Jianying introduced a concept in 2014, uh, right away, Dong Jiwa, the 
previous uh, CEE, he immediately formed a so-called think tank, a uh, Hong Kong Foundation. And Dong Chihua is obsessed about reclamation. And he's helped by Gordon Wu, another person who's obsessed about reclamation. Uh, he proposed a con uh, this concert in 1987, uh, but the colonial government was smarter than Carrie Lam and turned it down. So Gordon Wu and Dong Chihua, they are very powerful people, uh, politically, financially, and all that. So Dong Chihua and Gordon have been pushing it real hard, hiring all kinds of people, you know, justifying it. Uh, you probably read some of the, the writing publication. To the point that they injected one of the executives, uh, Stephen Wong, into the Land Supply Task Force. And he really pushed the idea within the task force uh, to make it a reclamation-centric development. Okay. Now, so so the way no, the, the, that's why the political force come in. Uh, remember the uh, Hong Kong Foundation, the GLM that the the, the, the Zhang Ying proposed is a thousand hectares, right? So there was a thousand hectares along the way. Now, but in August of 2018, our Hong Kong Foundation published their own, they call Enhanced GLM. That has 2,200 hectares. 2,200. Uh, three months later, Caroline has her project address, and out came LTV with 1,700 hectares. Now, without any, without any justification, she never explained why she checked check it out. But look at it. If Dong Jiwa and Gordon Wu propose a 2200 hectare, do you think Carrie Lam uh, can make them lose face by not sort of uh, expanding her plan to? And 1700 hectare turns out to be halfway between 2200 and 1000, right? So clearly, the, the, the fingerprint the fingerprint of the golden wool and, uh, and Dong Chihua is all over the place. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden you have a, a thousand hectare ELM that became, became a 1700 hectare LTV. Although they back off and say, well, phase one is only a thousand hectare. Uh, the 1700 is a vision for the future. So I guess they, they also realize that, hey, this is all crazy to begin with. So as we stand now, they say, well, the first phase is a thousand hectare. And 700 is later. So to answer your question, is a lot of political pressure from these very powerful uh, people. The Lantau project has faced backlash from the public since it was first announced. Its projected costs have exceeded 80 billion U.S. dollars, amounting to over half of Hong Kong's fiscal reserves. Although one of the goals of the large infrastructure project is to boost the economy by creating new jobs, many think that it will do more harm than good. I point out already the political pressure by very powerful people uh, like Gordon Wu and Tong uh, Chihua. Number two, I think Carrie Lam really wanted to see it as a legacy. Uh, she wanted to, she'd been so uh, a bill of a good like this would transform Hong Kong. So I think for her personally, uh, she see it as a legacy. And, and of course, the people who benefit the most from the project uh, the developer, the construction company, engineering firm, uh, all uh, she need those votes <laughs> uh, support if she want to run again, or any CE want to run again. We need those people support. So, uh, and, and 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 then third point, China of course want anything that looks like there'll be a further integration uh, to the to the mainland. 
So, so all those factors to me they are not really economical, hard nosed analysis. Those are political forces. And to your, uh, to your point about really, uh, financially, it doesn't make sense either. Uh, there is a study by a, a economist, Professor Kwan, if you heard of him, that he said he do analysis even without LTV uh, because of the, uh, the uh, demographic economic structure of Hong Kong that uh, we, we have to dip into the, uh, uh, the reserve in around 2030. Now, that's before LTV. So with LTV, by 2030, uh, you exhaust the, uh, the reserve. You've got to go into debt financing. So, but still, they, they're still, still, still moving ahead. Environmental groups in Hong Kong have also strongly opposed the Lantau project. They say it has the potential to cause irreversible damage to the marine and natural environments in the eastern Lantau region. It would mean that several plant and animal species in the East Lantau waters may be at risk, including coral communities. Let's go back to the strategic land supply consultation in 2011. Uh, in that consultation, people were asked, uh, there are several ways of getting land uh, and the reclamation around them. In three, in two of two of three survey in the study, people are against reclamation, but the government did not uh, show those num- number. In fact, the government misinformed the public, and they say, "Well, there's general acceptance," which is not true. So even if there are consultation, the government twisted twisted the result. Now, fast forward to 2016, when there was another consultation on land health development. Again, the question was posed: Do you support ELM? Again, I think 45% support and then 30-some, 45 against and about 30-some uh, support. Again, the, the opinion show people don't support it. Does not matter. <laughs> they still go ahead. And, uh, and there are analysis left and right by all kinds of experts. Uh, but basically, the government just uh, ignore it. Uh, and I find that's the case in uh, not just LTV. Uh, I think this all, this consultation pro- pro- is a farce. Everything from you know, the incinerator, West Kowloon uh, Cultural Center. But, uh, I think the government once it decides to, to do it, they do it. And all those consultation and meeting are just for show. Just check the boxes. You know, I met with you. I talk. I take your input. But at the end of the day. Not iota, not one iota has changed from the initial plan. Every case, I just did not see any adjustment because of input. Because this is such a long-term project, it'll take at least 20 or 30 years until we get to see this concept come to life. That's a long time, considering that the issues Hong Kongers face regarding housing are urgent, and have been for quite some time. Having talked to Tom Yam and reading up on all the controversies that have already risen surrounding the project, it's obvious that it'll take some efforts from the government to win over Hong Kongers who have long been waiting for immediate action towards housing issues in the city. As things stand right now, it seems as if the people of Hong Kong will continue to deal with the consequences of a housing market that is disproportionate and strained. For young people like Harry, Jeff, and I, who are just starting our careers, that might mean putting a happy living situation on the back burner until we can save enough money to afford a decently priced place. You know, this is my budget. I don't want to go above this budget. You know, I don't earn that much, but it doesn't make sense to do it. 
And this rings true for Hong Kongers across the board. Grappling with the financial and mental burdens of paying a large portion of your salary to live in a shoebox-sized home is far too common here. The small spaces and low affordability of housing are some of the factors pushing people to leave Hong Kong. It's also a disincentive for people to move here. What solutions the government comes up with beyond long-term projects like the Lanto Tomorrow Vision are yet to be seen. But beyond temporary solutions and lengthy projects, it's hard to see any impactful changes anytime soon. We can only hope for the best. This has been Housing Explained Hong Kong, a series where we delve into some of the issues surrounding Hong Kong's housing crisis. Our music is from Incompetech by Kevin McLeod. Thanks for listening, and until next time, goodbye.